Gotta love how the praise team knows when it's gonna rain. <laughs> Two songs on rain on the day that it rains. I just that's just great. Our scripture this morning comes from James chapter three, verses thirteen through chapter four, verse eight. Uh, we're skipping from three to seven. So chapter three, verse thirteen all the way to 4, 3, and then uh, verses 7 and 8. I read from the New Revised Standard Version. Who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness, born of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy." And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. Those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? You want something and you do not have it, so you commit murder. And you covet something and cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your pleasures. And verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Word of God for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for being able to be in your house, for being able to worship you, for being able to know, O oh Lord, that you receive our praise and our worship, that you hear our prayers, that you are with us, O oh Lord, during these times. We ask, O oh Lord, that you will speak to us through this word as I proclaim it. Let it be the truth that we need to hear in this day. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We continue today in the book of James, hearing the advice that James continues to give to the Jews, the Jewish Christians that are in the diaspora. These are Jews that are now Christians, and on top of that, now they're living far off from their homeland in places where they are now the minority. They're no longer in the Jewish homeland of Jerusalem and the area of Palestine. Many of them are just spread out all over the Roman Empire. And we hear that James is telling them, as he did last week, he said, faith without works is dead. He said, if, if you say you have faith, but you don't do those things that show that your faith is real, then your faith is dead. That's important because just saying that we're going to do something and not doing it does not make our words powerful. It actually makes them meaningless. It makes what we have stated not true, and it makes us liars. 
as the kids very cleverly pointed out. You know, kids just hit it on the nose sometimes when they do that. You know, just tell it like it is. So James today tells us that we should show by our good life that our works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. In other words, what he's saying is, show me your life and I should see your faith. He's saying, if you show me how you're living, I should see a reflection of Christ. And if I don't, there's clearly a problem. Because then you're not reflecting, you're not living, you're not dwelling in your faith as you should. Show by your good life that the works are done with gentleness, born of wisdom. Now he knows that these words might mean different things to different people, so he clarifies. Let me tell you about the wisdom that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about your wisdom, what you think is best, what you think is good, what you think is proper. He says, show by this wisdom, the wisdom that comes from above, the wisdom whose origin is God. He makes sure that we understand that the wisdom he's speaking of is not the wisdom that the world calls wisdom. Wisdom that comes from above, he says, is pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's willing to yield, it's full of mercy and good fruits. This wisdom shows no partiality or hypocrisy. Is that how we operate 100% of the time? Not really, right? There are times in which we struggle with one or many of these elements of the wisdom that he says is from above. But this is the wisdom that we should all be aspiring to have and to live in. One in which we really are gentle with each other. One in which we are willing to yield to another. You know, yielding is hard. People don't like to yield. You see a yield sign and you see the person behind the wheel just, they just want to go. You know, yielding means giving way to someone else. And it's hard for us to do. Showing mercy and having good fruits. And then, of course, not being partial and not being a hypocrite. And those two things go hand in hand. When you show partiality, you show preferential treatment to some above others. You value some above others and you treat them differently and of course, hypocrisy is lying, is saying you're going to do something and not doing it, or proclaiming that you are so willing to share and not giving up a single candy. It really is seen transparently by those who are looking as hypocrisy. So this is the wisdom that we should all aspire to have, but we don't always enjoy. We're not always gentle. We're not always willing to yield, then we definitely are not always without partiality or hypocrisy. He explains that if we have bitter envy and selfish ambition in our hearts, then our wisdom is not the one that comes from above, but the earthly wisdom, the one that's unspiritual. And he goes as far as calling it devilish. And I asked in the 9 o'clock service, have any of you been called devilish? And I was surprised because people raised their hand. But apparently, this is, this is an, a description that sometimes we get attributed, right? 
We act devilish. We act more like the devil than we do like Jesus. We act wrongly. And in that moment, we're not operating in the heavenly wisdom. We're operating in our earthly or unspiritual wisdom. This, the wisdom that we think is best. What we think is good rather than what God has shown us is good or right. So what is going on here? Because clearly James is trying to make a point. He's clearly seen or heard that Christians in these congregations, in these communities of faith in the diaspora, are behaving in selfish ways. They're calling themselves wise they're calling themselves faithful. They're calling themselves spiritual. But what is actually happening is that the truth is getting distorted for selfish benefit. Basically, each one of them is trying to interpret the truth based on what's best for them. They're trying to apply the gospel as best for them. And there are, as I mentioned last week, many false leaders coming in and claiming to share the gospel and for them, the gospel is give me all your money and I'll go to the next town and I'll take all your money with me. Or they're teaching a brand of Christianity in which anything goes and there's no accountability for the truth that we have been called to live in. The brand of wisdom that people are exhibiting brings disorder and wickedness of every kind. Whenever you make anything but Jesus, the primary focus of your life. You're not operating under heavenly wisdom. Jesus has to be number one in our lives. Otherwise, there is disorder, there's chaos, there's wickedness of every kind because our selfish nature takes over. And that is what is going on in these, in these different groups. There, there's conflict, there's disputes. They're arguing with each other, and they're making claims on each other based on their own understanding and wisdom. And James says, basically, you lack wisdom from above, because if you had wisdom from above, you would see that selfishness has taken over, and people are acting in selfish ways. He says, you want something, and you don't have it, so you commit murder. That seems a little extreme, right? But think about how many times we hear of somebody getting shot or killed for a cell phone or a pocketbook or simply because they had a disagreement with somebody else. We're not too far from that nowadays. People still do this. They covet something, they want something, and they can't get it, so they try to take it by force. This is neither gentle nor peaceable. It completely falls out of the definition of heavenly wisdom that we're supposed to live in. What they're wanting, he says, is not even good for them. They're asking for stuff and wanting stuff for their own pleasure, for their own enjoyment, for their selfish needs. These are not actually needs. These are just desires. You know, we always get the wants and the needs confused. Kids always say, but I need it. No, you don't need it. You're not going to die if you don't get it. That's not a need, but we act like it's a need, right? We act like we have to have it. And James tells us that these cravings are at war within us. That is the, that spiritual 
and that carnal man inside of us struggling with each other all the time. It is that, that part of us that envies and desires things that other people have. You know, that's the part of you that sees the neighbor paint the house, and all of a sudden you feel like you need to paint your house. You know, they got a new car, so honey, we got to plan to get a new car because they got a new car. It's the part of us that always wants and covets more and more, no matter how much God pours into our lives. And that part of us forgets to thank God for what we already have received because it doesn't live in gratitude. It li lives in constant desire for the next thing or for more. James firmly believes that we don't have because we do not ask. And that even when we ask, we don't get it because we ask wrongly or selfishly. We ask for ourselves. Now, this is very hard to hear. This is a difficult word to hear because basically what James is saying is we're all selfish. And none of us likes to think of ourselves as selfish. But could it be that we have been selfish in the way we have asked God for things? That we have centered our prayers on ourselves, me, myself, my family, those closest to me? Could it be that we center too much on what I want versus what God wants and what God desires for my life? You know, I, I, I always love the Lord's prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a different kind of prayer than most of the times we pray. God, let your will be done, not mine. James would argue that when we are operating at a selfish ambition and envy that, that, you know, that we are not thinking about what God desires but what we desire in our lives, and that even when we think we are being wise because we are asking for the welfare and the well-being of those we love, we are not exercising our faith to the full extent that we are called to. That in fact, we're not exhibiting he heavenly wisdom, but earthly wisdom. Are our prayers pure? Are they peaceable? Are they gentle? Are they willing to yield to God's voice? interrupting them and telling us something different? Are they yielding good fruits? Are our prayers without partiality or hypocrisy? You know, if you're praying for your neighbor and you're going, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like Joe across the street who has so many problems, you're not praying correctly. You're showing already judgment for poor Joe that's going through trouble. You're already judging the situation and his condition. Praying like this is a tall order, isn't it? But this is the kind of scrutiny that, that James is inviting us to apply to our lives. He's asking us to really examine how we're living and to make sure that we stop living selfishly, to stop claiming to have faith and not exercising it, to stop saying we love our neighbor but only love those closest to us, to stop saying that we're going to obey God but yet tell God what we will and will not do. He's saying you've got to stop doing that. You've got to stop living selfishly. 
Instead of living by our earthly wisdom, James is inviting us to something different. He's saying, what would it be like if you instead submitted to God? If you surrendered even your prayers and your worship to God and made it all about him and what he wants and his will and his kingdom what if you made it about not asking for stuff, but thanking God for what he's already done? Now, submitting to God is harder than it sounds. It's easy for me to tell you, hey, submit to God. But submitting is difficult. It's a lot easier to say submit than it is to actually do submit yourself to God. Another way that you can think about it is submitting to God means putting yourself under God's complete and total authority and control. To, to completely come under him to the point that everything you seek and everything you do and everything you say and everything you think is centered on what Jesus would have you do. It means denying ourselves in the process because you can't submit unless you deny yourself in order to submit. I compare it to moving in with somebody else. You know, you heard the phrase, my house, my rules. You know, when you invite somebody to move in with you, you let them know what? This is my house. These are my rules. You can come in. You can move in with me. But let me tell you, you can use the kitchen from 7 to 8. You can only use the guest bathroom. No going in the den. You know, we put all these restrictions and rules. And by the way, don't park your car on the street. And don't do this and don't do that. We set up all these rules. But what James is saying is if we are inviting God to move in with us, Instead of us saying, God, come in, my house, my rules, God comes in and he says, this is now my house and it is now my rules. He says, I am now the master, the Lord of this house. And now this house has to follow my rules, the heavenly rules that I have established for your life. Submitting to God means drawing near to him, repenting of our sin, purifying our hearts and living for him. And that requires Change, and that's uncomfortable. Have you ever, do you remember when you first move in with somebody else in that period of adjustment? Or you were trying to make sure you didn't step into each other's space or take each other's stuff? Because when we move in with each other, a lot of times what we say, there's my stuff and your stuff and our stuff. But when we invite God to come in, he says, it's all my stuff now. It all belongs to me. You see, when we invite God in, he wants to be the master of the whole house. That means that you cannot lock the back room and say you can't go in there. You can't say this closet is off limits. You can't say you can have reign of the whole house but leave the den because that's, that's private. When you invite God into your house, he wants to take over the whole place. And submitting to God means giving over the keys to every single room and every single space in our home. When we do that, James tells us this is surrender. 
There's no hypocrisy there. There's no double-mindedness there. There's just total openness and surrender to the will of God. And that is heavenly wisdom. James is tough, though. Think about what he tells them. He calls them sinners and double-minded and calls them to repentance. He's calling us that, too. He's saying, you are sinners and double-minded for your unwillingness to surrender fully to God. But then he invites us to find a way to reverse this. He says, cleanse your hands and purify your hearts from this behavior. Let God have full reign in your house. He's saying, let God move all the way in. Let him truly be the master of the house. And you see, here's what happens. When we actually allow God to enter our house and to completely take it over from top to bottom, we basically leave no more room for the devil. We basically evicted the devil from our lives. That's the good news. You know the bad news? He camps outside waiting for an opportunity to get back in, waiting for you to lock a door so that God can enter a space so that he can go in there, waiting for you to say, Lord, I just can't give this up so that he can have a way into your life. James is inviting us to leave no place in our house off limits to God, to surrender fully to him, and he says, when you do this, the devil will flee because you have effectively evicted him. But just know that he won't be far. From my experience, he camps out in front. He camps out in back. He camps out continuously looking for a way to get back in. We need to tell him to get out in the name of Jesus, but then we have to live with that Jesus in the house to keep him outside. James says we have to remain ever vigilant in this because our selfishness will try to creep back in and we will try to limit once again what God can and cannot do in our lives. This is why James's initial advice is so important. Use heavenly wisdom. Go back to that gentleness, that peaceableness, all those things that he mentioned at the beginning. Go back to those and make sure that you are being guided by wisdom from above in your lives. And make sure that God is the Lord of your house and that he's making the rules and that you're following them. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you because James is inviting us to truly surrender to you, to live out our faith and to not be hypocritical about it, not to just give it lip service, but to actually show by their good fruits that we are living in faith. We ask, O oh Lord, that you will make us gentle, peaceable, willing to yield, willing to surrender to your will, willing to always follow you wherever you lead us. Help us, Lord, not to leave any area of our lives outside of your grace. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.